Hey friend, we just wanted to pop over and remind you of all of the freebies that we have on our website at hustlehumblypodcast.com slash resources. There are quite a few on there. They work for buyers and sellers, for your business, all different things you might need and all for free. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, which one is your favorite? My favorite freebie is the due diligence checklist. Oh, that's a good one and Mm -hmm. so impactful for your buyers. Mm -hmm. It's a great email template. It's a really good one. Uh, My favorite is probably staging checklist. Mm -hmm. I want my sellers to have those houses looking good. Yes, yes. So head over and see which ones you would like to download or get them all. Enjoy. There is no absorption rate because there's no supply. Right, there's There's none. We have a zero month supply. Let's use numbers that are easier. Black magic. I'd be like, I did it on my, (laughs) I never had to On my HP one, two, three calculator. (laughs) Because when we are talking to our buyers, we need to tell them there's not there's, there's not any homes on the market. No homes on the market. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Hustle Humbly. It's Alyssa and Katie, and we are two top producing realtors in the Baton Rouge market. We work for two different companies where we should be competitors, but we have chosen community over competition. The goal of our podcast is to encourage you to find your own way in business. So stop comparing yourself and start embracing your strengths. Hi, Alyssa. Hey, Katie. Guess what? What? <gasps> it's time to do some math. Yay. Today is (laughs) numbers to know. You can't get through real estate without knowing numbers. Yeah. This is episode number 144. I think this is a good one that needs to be known. I mean, come on. I haven't made you do any math almost for 143 episodes. And in our Excel spreadsheet of ideas for episodes, we had so many in there. It came up several times. Yes. So it felt nice to be able to cross those off the list. We're going to make it happen. We're going to learn our numbers today. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell a quick little story. So I had a newer agent who was sort of training under me and was shadowing me. And then one day I sat down with her and I was helping her with a net sheet. And she's like, you know, I'm just, I don't, I'm not very good with math. I don't think I'm going to get this. I just remember thinking, okay, wait a minute. Real estate is a lot of math. And if you can't, like, get used to the stuff you've got to know, mm-hmm. how would you even function? Right. The, num- the numbers are all your sellers care about. The numbers are what your buyers have to know to figure out if they can even buy something. Like, it's all about numbers. Correct. It's all about numbers. I would probably not be able to pass the math portion of the real estate exam now? today. Okay. I think I would Just be like right. how many square feet in an acre? Maybe 43,560. <laughs> You really don't know? No, I do. 43,560. Oh, my heavens, y'all. 43,560. 43,560. That's how many square feet um, are in an acre. Because I literally do the math when I have like... Well, I just Google square foot to acreage and I put it in Google and it tells me. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Good. This makes me feel good and old. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, okay, good. I can take care of myself. Like I could read a paper Mm-mm. map. I don't need the GPS, but... Yes, I 43,560, if anyone wants to know, that's your number one number. That's how many square feet are in an acre. Great. Great. Okay. Not what we're here to tell you, but might as well. And I will tell you, I took real estate school in person, remember? Yes. And I don't remember the little shtick the teacher did, but she drew a house and she was like, the house has four walls. That's the four. And then she's like, I don't know, three of them are not the front. So 44, three. And um, I don't know, with the top, it's five sides. Like she had a whole shtick to teach okay. you 43, 560. 
Oh, that's how you remember 43560. Yeah, but I don't remember how she taught it. So sorry, y'all. <laughs> Interesting. But that's how I remembered it. Anyhow. You're so good at school. They love school. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a crack student, I must tell you. Hmm. That was my jam. That was what I was good at. Um, okay, but here's the thing. You have to be able to relay numbers to your clients, buyers and sellers, right? And yes. you have to know what these things are because they're coming in contact with these terms out in the world. Yeah. Right. Or from their lender or from a friend. Like you, they're going to ask you, what, well, what is absorption, right? <laughs> and you better know. So we're going to talk about it. Okay. Last episode, we were doing pre listing prep and some of the numbers came up. Um, and one of the things, what, is there anyone you want to start with in particular? I thought we could start with the market analysis. Perfect. Let's hear it. So I do have the updated market analysis template that I send out to people, okay. sellers, buyers. I use it all the time. Okay. But I notice, and the reason I came up with this template is because whenever I was sending the CMA summary, uh-huh. I was always putting this is this, this D-O-M is this. equals days on market, yeah. LP equals list price, SP equals sold price. Right, because that's how our local report is set up. Yes. Who so knows? however your whatever report you are sending to your clients. You have to teach it to them. You have to teach it to them. Yeah. And I realized I was typing and typing and type. So I just saved it one day. Oh, so smart. And it explains right. this analysis that I'm sending you that's very simple. And I people like it because it is so simple. Yeah. And so explaining to them what the days on market means, how to look at the list price versus the sale price. Did they get more than what they were asking? How much did they have to come down? One thing I like about our summary, and I have noticed just from looking at them so many, looking at so many, is that it has like the minimum price. Mm -hmm. It has the outliers. Yeah, it has the minimum, uh-huh. the maximum, the average, the average, mm-hmm. and the median. Yeah. Well, here's what I have found. Mm-hmm. Anytime the average and the median are close together, yep. and sometimes they're the same number, Wow. it is like the perfect indicator mm-hmm. of value. value. Yeah. Now, when you're in a subdivision where the houses are totally different and they're, they're hard to comp, the average and the median are usually, they can be $20 a square foot apart. Okay, let's back it up for okay. our friends who are like, I don't like math. Okay. I don't understand. Um, the average is if there were five houses that sold in the last however long you made the report, six mm-hmm. months. Five houses sold. The average is the average price of all five together. Yes. The median is the middle of those, right? Yes. Okay, so it's not taking all five and adding them together and dividing by five. That's the average. Right. The median is where, what is, what's the middle, right? And this is how I come up with the list price range. Okay. Yesterday, I was with sitting with a young couple, first time sellers. Love them. Going through the market analysis. And I said, look, the average and the median price per square foot for your neighborhood is 149. So that's it's it. It's the same number. Yeah. The highest, the max went up to 159, okay. which would put you at this price. Mm-hmm. 
So this is our range. Mm -hmm. And however good you can get your house, the closer to that 169 number we can yeah. push for. Sure. So that is those are the parameters I use as a starting point. Okay. I know we already did a whole episode on CMA. CMA, <clears throat> running comps. Yeah. But I really this is where I start. Okay. Let's also answer this question because we had a listener ask. How far back do you go? Yes. How far back? If you're looking at the average price or the days on the market or how far back do you go? For example, yesterday when I was at their house mm -hmm. doing this, I d was doing it with them. When I put in their neighborhood, I went back nine months mm -hmm. and there was only three homes. It was mm -hmm. not a big neighborhood and people don't move often. Right. So I went back 12 months, which is really where I stop it. Yeah, you can't go. It didn't, it didn't improve anything. So instead of going farther back date-wise, I just expanded the area. The area, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like you push the dates a little bit, and then if that's not helping you, don't go past a year. Right. Now- And then just expand your area. If you can go six months back and there are five houses, wouldn't you just stop? Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Okay. As long as you can find some that are- Similar. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Let's talk about DOM, days on market, some more. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, because uh, friends, remember, your clients don't know what DOM is. Right. And maybe they don't even understand the importance of knowing the days on the market. But let's just say in the last six months, you're looking at a neighborhood and six houses have sold. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you go to look at the days on the market for each one and it's one day, three day. So I'm going to do a whole math example. You ready? Okay. okay, I'm ready. One, three, seven, four, two, fifty. Okay. Okay. You had six houses. That's how many days on the market they were. If you average the days on the market, which the report, our report will tell you, that's 67 total days divided by six houses is 11 days on the market. Okay. Okay. But if you remove, let's say the house that was on the market 50 days was in bad shape. Yes. Like really bad. Mm -hmm. Totally different than the other five houses. Mm -hmm. So you remove the 50 days because that doesn't make sense. That's not what the rest of the neighborhood is saying and your house is like the other five. That leaves you with 17 days total divided by five listings, okay? Right. So instead of 67 divided by six, it's 17 divided by five. Now we're talking about three days on the market. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at, I wanted to talk about that example for two reasons. You have to look at the outliers when you're looking at a report. Maybe it sold in one day and everything took 30 or maybe something sold in like this sold in 50 but everything else took two you might need to remove those when you're doing averages or else it's throwing off your number yes and it's not giving you a true representation of what the sellers can expect okay correct and it's not helping you to plan your listing um, and it's also not helping your buyers if you're looking at a report and something randomly sold very low mm -hmm. and it's pulling down like the average price per square foot. Well, was it a foreclosure? Was it, I, I don't know, was there a cell phone tower in the backyard? Like why? You have to be the, you have to figure out what the data is telling you. And there, it makes no sense if a, if a neighborhood is all the same mm -hmm. and then there's one that's different. Yes. And you have to remove that. So make sure if you're sharing averages with your clients or if you're picking prices that you're removing those outliers. Agreed. Makes sense? Okay. All right. So now we know days on the market. What's next? I think that's really all the notes I had for the market analysis Perfect. section. I have one more thing. Because okay. last episode we talked about 
potentially in a listing appointment, your seller client could ask you, well, what's your list price to Mm -hmm. sold price ratio? Okay. So a ratio is always going to be a percentage. So let's say you list, I don't know, all the houses average out for you to list $200,000. And then all of your houses that you sold of those average out to sell for 190,000. What's the math? How fast can you be in math? Not fast. Okay, 190 <laughs> divided by 200,000 is 95%. Great. Do y'all hear what I just did? <clears throat> I averaged out all the houses I sold ever last year for one year. Yeah. You're not going to do I it think over, a year. Is fine. You're not going to do your list price to sold price ratio other than that. You're going to do one year or the last 6 months or however, but not any further or not any shorter. And I said, okay, all the houses I sold, like I listed them, the average price was 200,000. But of all those same houses, the average sold price was 190. I just took the 190 and I divided it by 200,000. And when you put that in a sold price, sold price divided by list price is your ratio is your ratio. So when you do the math, it's going to come up with 8.95. And if you want to make it a new percent, you just move that little decimal place (laughs) over two places. Okay, so 95% would be my sold price to list price ratio. Right. Okay. Great. All right. Maybe a seller cares. Maybe they don't. But now at least you know what it is. Yes. Okay. Moving on. Let's talk about absorption rate. Okay. This is a huge, and you have a definition for us. I do. It's very short. Well, great. Let's hear it. The absorption rate is the measure of supply and demand. Thank you. That is how you measure how much supply do we have versus the demand needed for homes. Right. And this term currently is a hot term, right? Very, yes. Because the market is so low in supply Mm -hmm. and high in demand. So the absorption rates are all very, very low, right? Mm -hmm. It's only going to take one month to sell through all the inventory or five days or whatever it is. Um, Do you want us to talk about how you actually know what the absorption rate is? (laughs) The absorption rate (laughs) is the number of homes sold in one month. Okay. Divided by the number of homes on the market currently. Okay. Now, what I have noticed is when I am doing my CMAs, Mm -hmm. there are no actives. You can go back. You can do this math the same with six months. Okay. So you could say 13 houses sold in the last six months. Okay. Okay. So so that means 13 divided by six, 2.17 houses sell every month. Okay. Okay. So if there is only two houses on the market... And you divide it by the 2.17, 2 divided by 2.17, it is it is less than one, it's 0.9 of a month inventory. So the absorption rate is 0.9. Can we do that again? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, yes, I'm with Alyssa. What the what? heck is she talking about? What? You're so quick. Okay. Okay, wait. You did. Read your definite. Read how they tell you to do it. Number of homes sold in a month. Okay. Divided by the number of homes on the market. Right. So if last month two houses sold and currently there's zero on the market. Zero throws off the map. I know. Okay. Let's just say that's why I'm. What if there's not? Let's say there's one house on the market. Two sold last month and one house is on the market. That's even worse because you can't really divide two by one. You're still going to get two. (laughs) Is the answer two months of inventory? If you have no, no, if you have no house, (laughs) listen to me. 
<laughs> if you have no houses on the market, there's zero person there. There's zero percent absorption. Like there's no. There is no absorption rate right? because no there's no inventory. supply. Right. There's, there's no, none. We have a zero month supply. Let's use numbers that are easier. <laughs> okay. Last month, three houses sold in the neighborhood. Okay. Okay. Three this, houses sold. Currently, there are two houses listed. Okay. Three. Divided by divided two. Divided by two. It, no, that's backwards. Two divided by three is 0.67 <laughs> of a month of inventory. So just over half a month's inventory. Okay? Because it took two houses sold. What do we say? <laughs> we needed we said, to call we in said the experts. Three, no, with this, we are experts. Three houses sold last month and only two are available right now. Three divided by two. It's two divided by three. It says number of homes sold in one month divided by the number currently on the market. Oh, fine. Okay. Three divided by So what two. is that number? Three divided by two. <laughs> three divided by two. Oh, God bless. That's how many months? Three divided by two. One and a half. Okay. So we have one and a half months of inventory. So the absorption rate <laughs> is how many homes have sold in the month? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Go okay. Divided by the number currently on the market. Okay. So if three homes recently sold, yes. divided by the two homes that are available, uh -huh. we have one and a half months supply. Why is this number important, Katie? Because when we are talking to our buyers, right. we need to tell them that... There's not there's, there's not any homes on the market. No homes on the market. And now I will say the absorption rate like three years ago, because I actually had a engineering client. Oh, and they wanted to know. And they wanted to know. Tell us. So I'm kind of doing what we're doing right now. I'm figuring it all out. Okay. But I had to tell him, Mr. Seller, in your area, mm -hmm. the absorption rate is eight months. <gasps> Okay. There are so many homes on the market in your area, and they are right. selling slowly. Mm -hmm. It is giving us eight months worth of inventory. Mm -hmm. So we have a. There's a chance we could be on the market that whole eight months. Right. So it's it. I find it helpful if you have a home that's not selling, and you have to. It was helpful when we weren't in the market that we were in now to explain to sellers realistic expectations. And I believe it's like a 50% is when it's a level market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anything as it gets closer, as that number gets smaller, then that means there's less homes available and then that's more of a seller's market. Yes. Okay. And then it, the absorption rate is important to buyers because it shows them the reality of how many homes they're going to have to choose from. Well, yeah. Another thing that I thought kind of correlated with the absorption rate is I always tell my clients, like even before they're really ready to start buying, it's good to browse online so that you can recognize when something good pops up. Mm -hmm. So I had clients that were like, well, we've been browsing online for six months and we've seen zero homes that we liked. Right. right. I'm like, well, that's a problem. Yeah. Because you're... Like I even had, sometimes when I set up my whole buyer search, mm -hmm. when I set up the buyer search, I enter all their criteria and make sure like active homes. Yeah. But sometimes it's like zero. Nothing. So then I change it to sold in the last year. And sometimes it's like two. And you're like, wait a minute. Or three or zero. And I'm like, listen, Mr. Buyer, what you want. Isn't coming. Isn't coming at all. Because Doesn't even, even in the last few months, there hasn't been anything that meets your criteria Zero. that has sold. Right. So sometimes using the data reversed yes. will help you when having conversations For sure. with your buyer. 
Yeah. Phew. Absorption rate. I know it's hard, but the I think measure it's, of supply it's, and demand. It's the measure of supply <clears throat> and demand, which is important to know if it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. Mm -hmm. That's the basest version of that. Yes. Okay. Um, let's move on to things that your buyers are going to hear, or maybe even your seller might hear when they're trying to review offers. What about LTV? Loan to value. Mm -hmm. Why okay. is that important? So this is another ratio. It is the loan amount divided by the value of that property. Okay. So if you're getting all these offers over list price, mm -hmm. but they're only doing 96.5% loan to value, uh -huh. that tells you that this particular buyer does not have a plethora of cash on hand. Right. So in the event of a low appraisal, mm -hmm. this buyer is less likely to be able to cover any kind of appraisal gap. Right. And so many agents, when they get a purchase agreement, just look at the price and they yeah. don't really consider the other the terms. terms. It's not all about the money. The LTV is super important. Yeah. And you know, I have noticed lately that a lot of times what the agents put on the purchase agreement is not what they does do. Does not match the pre-approval letter. Mm -hmm. At which point, it is a good thing to re to reach out to the lender to say, "Hey, I've received this offer with a pre-approval letter yeah. from you. It doesn't match. Can right. you help me understand?" I've also had offers recently where the agent just didn't fill in the loan to value on the purchase agreement. So many leave it blank. Just blank. Totally like, blank. This is. If I and I'm not going to answer your offer without a pre-approval letter, but this is important information, right? That maybe is maybe they're putting down fifty percent. You might be better suited to get your offer accepted had you filled that blank in. Yes. So that loan to value is important in that instance. So let's just do a quick one. Okay. Let's say that your property is valued at three hundred eighty thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. And your loan amount is. $300,000. So you take 300,000 divided by 380, okay? And you get 79%. So your loan to value ratio would be 79%. Perfect. Okay? That means that you're under that magical 80/20, right? That 20% down. You're more likely to have an appraisal waived at this percentage down. You're not going to have mortgage insurance at this percent down. This is like the magical number that back in the day, everyone, you had to get there anyway. Yeah. Like you had to put 20% down. We don't do that anymore. But this is kind of like that super sweet spot for buyers where you're avoiding some expenses and you're maybe going to have some other positive ramifications like a waived appraisal. I have had a lot of buyers lately that were like, well, we're not sure if we want to put down 5% or 10% or 15%. But after, and I always tell them, like, ask the lender mm -hmm. to show you what the monthly note difference is mm -hmm. between putting 5%, 10%, and 15%. Right. Ask for those three monthly notes. Yeah. And a lot of times after seeing how little it changes the monthly note until you hit, unless you right. hit 20. Yeah. But from 5 to 10 to 15. It's not a big difference. It is not a big difference. Yeah. And a lot of times those people opted to just do 5%. Yeah. To keep their cash on hand. Yeah. Because having, you know, 10, 15,000 extra in your bank account mm -hmm. was more valuable to them than saving $12 a month on your monthly note. Yeah. Like until you get to 20%, it, it doesn't it's not really change. You the big benefits. And I also tell my buyers, you may <clears throat> decide that the house that you're buying needs more work than you thought. Yeah. 
or maybe the sellers aren't doing any repairs in this market. Mm -hmm. So maybe keeping your cash on hand or is maybe better. you have to cover an appraisal gap. Yes. You're going to have to use cash for that. Right. You're going to have to use cash for that. So until you get to 20%, yeah. there's not a lot of difference. Okay. Now let's talk about down payment. Okay. Your buyer may say to you, well, how much of a down payment do I need? And then you'll say, well, what did your lender approve you for as far as your percentage down? Your sales price times the percentage down equals the down payment. I know that seems super simple, y'all. But simply, whatever the sales price is, if it's 300000 and you want to put 20% down, you say 300000 times 0 0.20 is $60,000. Right. So you need a $60,000 down payment on a $300,000 house for it to be 20% down. And that's always where I start too, especially with first time investors. When people call and yeah. say, I want to invest in real estate. Can you help me get started? I'm like, sure. The first thing you need is a 20% down payment. Mm -hmm. So if it, and I always just spill right into, so if it's a $200,000 house, you'll need about $40,000 for your down payment. Is that something that you feel ready to do? And they're going to be like, hmm. Oh, wow. And then hmm. also, and also remember, you know, you're going to be looking at about 3% for closing costs because sellers aren't really covering that right now. Right. You got to have it all. Yes. You got to have it all. So going oh, into those numbers, but I do try when I'm talking to the public and the consumer, when I'm speaking in percentages to just follow up with the number cash number yeah because they don't know because they're like 20 percent, no, and then i'm and like that's 40,000. they might not even know how to do the math i know they right? may not know so you have to help them out with that mm -hmm. okay are you <laughs> y'all let's do the easies and then we'll come back to a harder one hey Alyssa. hey katie what do we mention almost every episode Email templates. You're right. We sure do. <laughs> and after every time we mention an email template, do you know what we get? Emails asking if they can have <laughs> copies of the email template. Can you send me a copy of that template? I sure. have never had one like that. That sounds great. And you know what the good news is? What? You can get all of our email templates from our course, Email Templates 101. Tell the people about it. Our course has all of the email templates you would need to send to your buyers and your sellers and your clients that are buying and selling at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> to get through every step of the transaction and giving them information that they need for where they are in the transaction. It's great because you never forget to tell them something. Yes, and we've already done all the work for you. Yeah. We wrote them and yeah. you can personalize them. Yes. And just feel organized knowing that you have all the information where it needs to be. And if you purchase Email Templates 101, you do get lifetime access. So occasionally we like to go in and make updates based on the market or if we find a new best practice. And we put that right into the template and you get that updated straight away. It just goes straight to your course. Yep. Right, it's, it's just there. It's, it's just already there. in there. It's just already there. in there. You don't even have to worry about it. We'll That's send wonderful. you an email and we'll say updated. That's great. Where can they find these email templates? You can find the email templates at email templates with an s 101.com email templates 101.com yes head over for reviews and all of the specifics wonderful okay enjoy okay so last week we talked about our seller net sheet yes quite a bit on your seller net sheet you're figuring out things like your prorated taxes mm -hmm. okay so for instance i am going to try and do this quickly I look at the CMA for your neighborhood. I see that it only takes one day to sell a house. Okay. I, I'm going to assume that a closing takes 30 days. Okay. 
and we're going to list it in a, next week, which is May 1st. So basically by the middle of June, I should have this house sold, right? Yes. So then I'm going to say, okay, well, that's conservatively six months out of the year, right? That you're going to have to pay your prorated taxes. And if you have an escrow account, great, you'll get it back after closing. But you need to be prepared at closing to pay it, right? Yes. That's how you figure out that part of the seller net. You look at the days on the market. You look at when you're listing. You say, okay, well, we should be closed by June. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the tax bill and you divide it. Well, that's easy. You just divide in half. It's half the year, right? Mm -hmm. Or you divide it by 12 and multiply it by however many months. If you said, oh, we'll be closed by the end of March, multiply it by three, right? Yes. Did I do that too fast? No. Okay. And Fine. if you did, just press that little <laughs> rewind button on the right. podcast. Go app. back, go back. Okay. Just go back. The other things that are on your seller net that you're going to have to do the math for your clients so they see it is your commission percentage. Whatever the sales price is times that percentage is going to give them the amount of money they have to pay. Okay. Okay. Please don't just say your commission is X percent. Do the math on the paper. For them. Let yes. them see the totals. Mm -hmm. um, what else is on that paper? I think that's pretty much all the real And then mapping. I have just like seller closing costs from the title company. Yeah, which I pretty much always put the same number. Me too. I reached out to the title company I use and asked, what should that number be? Yeah. Now, and that's what I chose. Back in the day, and it's still a blank on my thing, I have a concessions blank. Okay. So I would look at the market, the CMA, and I would say, okay, well, all of the houses in your neighborhood sold for list price, but they all gave 5,000 in closing costs. Right. And then I would put that in the concessions blank, or I'll be like, they all sold for a mix of some concession, like some closing cost, and they came off the list price. Mm -hmm. And it equaled out to be about 3%. Right. So maybe I would say 3% of your sales price, be prepared to negotiate mm -hmm. that. That is the only other math mm -hmm. in that blank. And then you take the list price and you subtract all these things and you get a seller net Minus their loan payoff, right? On my pre-listing template where I have the net formula on there, I have estimated buyer closing costs between four and $6,000. And then I have a little star that says, in this market, many sellers are not paying closing costs. Yeah. It just depends on the offers that we get. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I like to prepare them for worst case scenario. Yeah, you want them to know what to expect. Next up would be equity. Your sellers don't necessarily know how much equity they have, right? So they mm -hmm. say, okay, you look it up and you're like, your house is worth $400,000. Great. How much do you owe on your mortgage? And they're going to say, oh, I owe $200,000. Great. Oh, well, that's great. You have 50% equity. 50%, half of the total of your value mm -hmm. you uh, is free and clear. You own it. You want to know something funny? What? <laughs> I teach a um, career day okay. at a high school right? on real estate, not just about how to become a realtor, but getting them thinking about maybe after I graduate and get a job, I want to buy a house. Like right. start saving now, be smart with your credit. So anyway, that's the premise of my, mm -hmm. my little spiel. It's a great talk. So I, I end it with, what do you think I get paid? Oh yeah. So I'm like, okay guys, I sell this million dollar house, mm -hmm. how much do you think I get paid? And they're like, $500,000. And they're like, no, 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 like, like $100,000. And like, like they don't. No idea. No idea. And their ranges and their percentages and, and what they understand about equity and 
they don't understand. It's so funny. Like, can you imagine, like, if you sold someone's house and took half of it? What? I'd be like, this job is the best. Yes. And so then I go into doing the example of the math to show them what it comes "Ah." out to be. And then they're like, oh, well, that's not a lot. I'm like, no, you got to sell a lot of these houses. No, but you know who thinks it's a lot? The seller. I know. They do think, yes. (laughs) The seller's like, what? Yes. Um, That's so funny. Okay. Well, while we're on that and your income, the other, another mathy thing we need to be aware of is your broker split. So now you've told your students X percent of that house ended up in whatever commission. Let's call it $20,000. Some percentage of that is going to go to your broker. Correct. Unless you're your own broker. And your taxes. And your taxes. So you got to keep those numbers in mind as well. And when you are interviewing brokers, I think it is very good to ask the person you are interviewing with to do an example breakdown. Mm -hmm. So like what's the average home in your marketplace? Say it's 300,000. Right. Ask your broker or the interviewing broker on a piece of paper to show you what your check would be Mm -hmm. at that company. Yeah. And then compare it to another company and see if it's worth the difference. Does one provide yeah. more training? Yeah. But I think having it on paper mm-hmm. is so important. For you, yes, for you. And numbers on paper are always important. Mm-hmm. For goals, for figuring out, for budgeting, for ch- telling your seller, you got to put it on paper. Uh, so basically, after your mm-hmm. broker took their split and you saved your taxes and you paid your expenses, because there's a bunch of those, then you get your net income. So when someone posts... Um, their volume. This is especially for my new agent friends. Someone posts their volume or their gross commissions earned. They love to post that number because you know why? It doesn't include their broker split. Nope. It doesn't include the money they pay in taxes. It doesn't include the tons and tons of expenses like your fees and dues. Yeah. It includes none of that. It just says, look at me. I sold all this real estate and my gross, com- and sometimes they don't even designate it. No, you know what I mean? They, they just, just say, say commissions earned, right? Right. Six figure commissions earned this Yeah, but month. was I've it? I've seen that before. Was yeah. it really? No. No. I've also had one time our broker share, because they share like our million in a month. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was like, you know, Alyssa Jenkins sold $2.1 million in February. And I had a friend from high school message me and was like, dude, you're like a millionaire. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> No, like I didn't, that was not my paycheck. Thank you. But that those posts are a disservice to you as the <sighs> agent and the public because the public doesn't, guess what? That friend might be like, Alyssa doesn't need to work with me. She's got all the money. All the money. Y'all know. be careful what you put out there. Oh, she's like, you're a millionaire. You're like, yeah. yeah. yeah uh-huh. You're right. Mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, mortgage payments. I'm not going to go into the math of it. I'm sure all of you have a handy-dandy mortgage calculator on your phone. Yes. If you do not, you need one. But for YouTube, I'm going to show you my friend. This is the HP 10B2 mortgage calculator. So old school. Look how old. I'm going to show you the back side. She has formulas taped (laughs) on the back of her old school calculator. I have formulas taped on the back. Because when I went to real estate school back in the Stone Ages of <laughs> 2005, okay, you had to use these calculators in class. Do you still have to use this? No. Like they let you use your phone for the test? I don't remember. 
<laughs> I don't think. Okay, well, I had to get one of these HP 10B2s, not sponsored, <laughs> the calculators, that has all these wackadoo buttons that you're like, what? It's, a, fi- it's a financial calculator. Okay. Right? It has all these crazy buttons. And then I had to put on the back side, how do you even do these monthly mortgage payments so that I would remember, which I know now. But I will tell you, knowing this formula and how to do this meant if I had someone reach out to me and say, I wanted to sell, I want to sell my home and I've never worked with them before. Okay. I want to sell my home and I've been in here five years and I would look back and I would say, oh, you were there in 2006. Interest rates were about 6%. And then I would say, I would look, cause back in the old days on the MLS, they'd tell you what kind of loan it was. Be like, sure. oh, FHA loan. Okay. You probably put three and a- I did all of this without asking them probably put three and a half percent down. And then I would get out my mortgage calculator and I'd be like, okay, well, you're this many years into your mortgage. So Mm -hmm. I know how many payments you have left. I could figure out their payoff without them telling me. That is genius. And so when I showed up and I said, is your payoff about X? They were like, how did you know that? (laughs) Black magic. I'd be like, I did it on my third. I never had to On my HP 123 uh, calculator. Uh, no, 10B2. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but I did it on my mortgage calculator. My point is your app will do that for you. Mm-hmm. You can go in your app and say, how much is the balance left if I'm on payment 40 okay. or payment 210? You can figure out where your client is in their mortgage based mm-hmm. on when they purchased, assuming they didn't refinance, y'all, because if they refinanced, all bets are off. But it is helpful for yeah. you to know what's going on with that client. I will say I had a client recently. So a lot of people who give you pushback on getting pre-approved or what their budget is are like, well, according to the online calculator, <laughs> I would be approved for this. Or mm-hmm. even after they're pre-approved, instead of reaching out to the lender for accurate question answers to their questions, they use these different versions of online calculators. So they get the answer they want. So I had a client recently that got pre-approved. Everything was fine, but it was months before we found a house, okay? okay. And my and the lender would like check in and be like, hey, just wanted to see if you found anything. And he was like, I'm just letting you know, she's not very responsive to me. And I was like, that's that's okay. We just haven't found anything. And right. I'll, she told me she's still looking, you know, working with you. Okay. So anyway, we find a house, we go under contract. I had emailed the lender before we, I'm sorry, before we went under contract to make the offer. And he sent me the estimated monthly note and cash needed to close. And she is like, why is the monthly note so high? And I'm like, I don't know. This is different than what you were told. She's like, yeah, like it's way different than what I thought. And so I go digging through emails back like months before when she first got pre-approved because the lender copied me with it. And I said, well, it's not that much different than this email back in June mm-hmm. that shows. And she was like, I said, where is this confusion coming from? We have to figure this out because this lender does a very good job explaining. Mm-hmm. And she said, I've been using this like online calculator. I'm like, well, show it to me. Let me see. And I'm like, do you see this blank right here that says zero? <laughs> I don't know why it's zero because you're putting in your calculator that you're only putting 5% down. So you're going to have PMI. Right. So it's going to be two or $300 more a month than you were expecting. Yeah. Because her calculator, and a lot of times the online calculators do not do property taxes no, and insurance correct not. for your area. No, they're not. So when you have buyers 
that are using those calculators, mm-hmm. tell them, don't, I, I tell them, email the lender. That's what they're there for. They don't mind. I mean, they can do it quickly and give you the most accurate numbers. You need the accurate number. Yeah. This is exactly the same thing as going to Zillow mm-hmm. to figure out the value of your home. Yes. This is the perfect equivalent for buyers. Right. I went online and they told me that the interest rate was three. Yeah. I'm like, what are you even talking well, about? Well, this is a good point. So I had in this episode to cover fixed rate. Oh, good. Versus APR. Tell me about it. What is, because I notice when the lenders send out the email and I share it on my Instagram when I get it. It's that, the, that good old fashioned fixed truth rate. Of, the truth and lending statement. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's fixed rate column mm-hmm. and then there's the APR column. Okay. The APR is the annual percentage rate. Okay. The APR is what you are really paying. Right. Because it you is had actu- Yes. It is the actual cost to borrow money. Mm-hmm. It includes origination fees. It includes PMI. Mm-hmm. It includes closing costs. So it's like everything. Okay. Now your monthly payment mm-hmm. is only based on the fixed rate. So usually the fixed rate is lower. So just it should as, be unless you had no fees. Right. So for example, um, as of April 25th, 2022 oh gosh, historical day in Dis- history. Disclaimer. Let's look at the jumbo rate. <laughs> A 30-year jumbo fixed rate was 5.375%. The APR is 5.555%. So a little over a point and a half, around a point and a half, a little less than a point and a half, is the difference between, I'm sorry, point I was like, one, whoa. not a point and a yeah, half, I got you. but point one and some change. Mm-hmm. So a tenth of a point because one includes all the fees and mm-hmm. then one is just your fixed rate. Right. So APR is basically a disclaimer that the lenders have to show you. Well, it's you. like how much does the money cost you? Yes. Right. What did it cost you to acquire this money? But you have to be careful when doing like the online big national banks that don't have like brick and mortar buildings with people that you can go in and talk to. Mm -hmm. They'll just throw out 3%. Yeah. And you're like, well, you don't even know what that includes. there's a whole bunch of fine print too. Do you have an 800 credit score and 50% down? Right. I'm like, well... No, are you going to pay 2% in discount points? And y'all, I in the episode you did with Connie was so great when she was talking about t- like tougher times and recessions and when the interest rates got really high, then things you had to get a little bit more creative in your financing mm-hmm. and it's time for all of us to start preparing for understanding mm-hmm. what is a discount point. I have that written down. Great, tell me. So a discount point is when you buy down the mortgage interest rate. It is costly. You pay money up front. You pay money. To get a different interest rate. Now, a lot of times I have found when buyers are shopping lenders, they, especially when interest rates weren't 3%, like, and I think we'll start seeing this more. They're going to, mm-hmm. the lenders know that the consumer, that the buyer is trained to look at the interest rate. Just that. Who's going to give me the best interest rate? Yeah. Who's going to give me the best interest rate? The buyer doesn't understand how to review a very complicated fees worksheet. Right. So the lender is sending them over a fees worksheet with a 3% interest rate. And they're like, this is great. Whereas the better lender is sending them a fees worksheet with 3.25 because they're not charging them. Uh A lot of times when buyers are getting pre-approved, 
the lenders include discount points yeah. in the fees worksheet because they aren't looking at the fees, they're only looking at the interest rate. Right. So I tell my buyers, when you are shopping lenders, if the first lender quotes you at 3%, let's make it more modern. If the first lender quotes <laughs> you at 5%, because that just hurts my heart, ask lender number two, uh-huh. can you quote me at 5%? Apples to apples. Apples to apples. And then once the percentages are the same, mm-hmm. then you look at, the fees, yeah. cash needed to close, the yes. closing costs, uh-huh. because you don't want your buyer to be surprised at how high the, you you opted for this lender with the lower rate, right. but you didn't realize they were charging you right. for I that rate. I also like to insert here that now, granted, within reason, sometimes the lender with the slightly higher rate provides much better much. service. Yes. And you may think that's not important and that you're going to live with this number for 30 years, which is mm-hmm. true, but the good service may be the difference between actually getting it closed and losing your dream home. I had a buyer just recently like get pre-approved with someone I recommended and I think she even may have interviewed someone else. Okay. Loved my person. This client likes very quick responses Mm -hmm. and was emailing the lender often, Mm -hmm. several times a day, in the evening. Well, what if we went FHA? Well, what if we went conventional? Well, what if we put this much down? So she is like, and I'm copied on all these emails, watching the correspondence Mm -hmm. back and forth, and she's answering all her email, all the stuff. So we find a house. I'm like, hey, we need the... Uh, we're actually making an offer. She sends me a pre-approval letter, the closing costs, the estimated monthly note. So fast. We're under contract. So I send the we're under contract email to my buyer, copy the lender. And my buyer's like, hey, I just want to give you a heads up that we're probably going to shop just to be smart buyers. Like we're probably going to shop around lenders. I said, listen, you're welcome to do that. That is your right. I will tell you, I wish you would have done it before we used all of her time. Yeah. You really need to commit to a lender. Just like an agent. Before you ask them to do all the legwork. Right. So when she first pre-approved you, that was the time to commit or shop. Yeah. You don't, she has been so helpful to us. Right. And answered questions in the evenings and on the weekends. And actually is a big reason why we won the house that you're right. under contract wanna, on right now. And now you want to ditch her. And now you want to shop. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm just telling you, you need to be careful about why you're shopping. You know, other lenders may overpromise in the mm-hmm. beginning. Just be careful. But I had to have that conversation with her and I was very surprised by it because I knew how much Work. had already gone into yeah. this. But you don't always get what you pay for. And, and we yeah. need to be having that conversation with our buyers. Yeah. As Pro- far as probably dis- sooner than later. I know. I I wouldn't have thought about it either. <laughs> well, in this situation, I thought she was committed. Like happy. Yeah. Yes, very committed. I I saw no reason for us to shop. I even told her when I recommended a few lenders, I'm like, "Look, I shop fees worksheets all day long. Yeah. This won't be beat." Right. For the type of loan right. that you are doing. This yeah. can't be beat. Now, what's funny, not funny, but 
in another totally separate situation, the only other time I really had this happen, I had said, I had recommended a few local lenders. And I, I do know, like, based on loan type, there are some lenders that can do bigger credits or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I was like, based on what you're trying to do, I think this lender would be the best bet. Well, they come to me and they're like, this lender and kind of talking bad. And I'm like, what is going on, you know? So I went to the office and I said, listen, my buyer wasn't super pleased with some of the numbers. I've never had anyone not be pleased. And they were like, well, they have a lot of issues on their credit. Uh, and I thought I knew there had to be something, something. something. Buyers forget that the rate you get is, is based on, on you. 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 How do you pay your bills? Right. How mm -hmm. do you make your payments on things? And how much do you finance? And you determine your rate. Right. So anytime something doesn't seem right, there's likely something else going on. Right. Mm -hmm. As far as discount points go, I do think as interest rates rise, it might be something that we start seeing. Yeah. There is a blank in our Louisiana purchase agreement for discount points that has never been used in any of the transactions I have done. Yeah. I don't know that I, even earlier on when maybe someone would have paid a discount point. Yeah. Look, y'all, here's the funny thing. I don't remember who I was talking to about this the other day. Even the rates have gone up a lot. This is still, when I started in 2006, they were at six, okay? Yeah. And it's gone down and down and down and down and down. And every time it would go down over my entire 16-year career, they'd be like, historic lows, historic lows, <sighs> historic lows. Now that we're at more like in the fives, that's still, like if you, over the whole course of things, a low interest rate. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yes, maybe my point is we never used the discount point blank either in 2006. Right. You you follow what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. it's just been a really long time of having the rates go low or lower. So that's why when it was two and three, it's like this is ridiculously mm -hmm. low. That's why all of these investors flooded into the market when yes. you could get a rate on a second home in the threes. Well, that's like almost like free money. Yes. Okay. Like why would we not buy all the houses now that it's going back into the fives, maybe then our owner occupants are going to have a better chance. Mm -hmm. So like there is a bonus to this writing the re when people are like, this is going to make the real estate market more level. It means these investors who are getting all this cheap money are going to get out. Yes. Right. Like we, it's okay for me to pay 5%. I'm going to live in the house. Right. Right. One of the um, pieces of advice that a local lender gave at the trends uh -huh. uh, continuing ed I went to said as interest rates rise, people are still going to need places to live. Okay. Yeah. They make it work. Don't focus on the interest rate. Mm -hmm. Focus on your monthly note and yeah. your budget. As right. long as you are in a good place with your monthly note and you can afford your monthly note payments, it doesn't really matter no, what the interest rate is. That's exactly right. Just focus. If yeah. you have to buy a house, just focus and on your budget. And if you want to feel extra good about it, compare it to rent on a similar yeah. house. It's probably right. still less. Like you can't live for free. So no. you're just going to have to pay for it. You got to pay for it somehow. I looked up that a discount point costs about 1% of the loan. Okay. So if the house is... $300,000, it's going to cost you $3,000. To buy down a percent. Point one percent buys you 0.125. Okay. <laughs> That's tiny. Tiny. Tiny, tiny. tiny. Mm -hmm. 
So it it hardly touches the surface the, right, okay. of what your rate is going right. to be. Okay. Um, we, we're getting too deep into it, but I was going to say then there'll be arms and all this stuff. Maybe we'll talk about different loans Okay. soon. Yeah. And we can jump back into this again. Sounds good. Okay. What else you got? The last example I had, because I just went through this myself with do 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 the flip report uh-huh. is capital gains. Okay. Um, you do need to be careful on giving too much advice to right. your client. Because it's person specific. It is very person specific and you must refer them to their CPA. Always. But here's how you figure out your capital gains. Okay. I have modified the flip report numbers Great. to make it for easier math. Perfect. So what you paid, mm-hmm. $140,000. Okay. The improvements you made, let's say $60,000. Okay, so, so well, I have $200,000 $200, in the house. Got it. That's my adjusted basis. Oh, my Fancy bless. word okay. for what I have in the house. That's everything you got in. Selling price is $300,000. Okay. I'm sorry, three ten. Minus expenses of selling, which is like your closing costs, commission, so let's just say ten thousand. Yep. Okay. <laughs> For easy math, love it. So my adjusted basis was two hundred thousand. Uh-huh. My adjusted sales price is three hundred thousand. Okay. So they want your adjusted sales price mm-hmm. minus mm-hmm. your adjusted basis. So basically, my check at closing, which already had all the fees taken out, uh-huh. minus. So what I got. Yep. Minus what I put in. What you spent. So 300000 minus oh, 200000 equals $100,000. Okay. At which point I called my CPA mm-hmm. and said, CPA, mm-hmm. how much do I owe in capital gains on this $100,000? And then she, uh, they offered you the barf bag with the number? Yep. Okay. And they said, well, because it's a flip and <laughs> you never rented it out, mm-hmm. you are taxed the same as your income bracket. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, what is my income bracket? And they said, you're at 41%. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> so I had to write a check for $41,000 to the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have kept it and rented it out for 12 months, I would have saved a little bit. But to me, it wasn't worth no. it because then you might have to redo it after right. the tenants move out, blah, 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 blah. So I counted my losses. I paid it's, my taxes. Well, you still won. I still won. You still, still won. won. Just the IRS also the won. The IRS also won big on my big, poor little big. flip house. They sure did. But that is how you calculate. That's why when you are flipping a house or spending any money on your rental properties, if you have to buy weed and feed for the grass at your rental property, put that receipt in your write-off column because as small as you can make that number the less taxes you owe which is why it's good to be a diligent record keeper always on your spending always but that is how you figure out your capital gains okay and a quick reminder to everyone on capital gains you have to live in a house for two years to also avoid that yes so So, if you have a client who is going to go sell a house less than two years in they need to be aware and talk to their cpa I know pre-listing was last week. Yep. 
But that's a good question to ask right. when a seller reaches out to you to say, hey, Mr. Seller, how long have you lived in your house? Oh, I bought it last year. Right. Whoa. Okay, well, we need to talk. That should be a red flag right there. We need to talk about capital gains. Yeah. And you need to reach out to your CPA and see what will you owe. Right. Same situation. Say it's a situation where a seller is taking a loss. Mm-hmm. They get some tax help on a loss. So I tell my sellers, I have a situation now okay. where I sold him this condo for $120,000. Okay. We're selling it for $150,000. Mm-hmm. Looks good on paper. But the condo assessments, while he owned it, were $45,000. Oh, my goodness. They redid the stucco. They put on a new roof. Like a whole new place. They had to rebuild the balconies. It is a whole new place. So he is actually taking a loss. But it's very important because if he just didn't submit that to his tax people, they they would charge him money mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. because he rented it out. Yeah. So they would charge him money. But because he has records of what he paid right. on this condo, they're counting it as a pretty significant loss. So it's so he actually gets a tax benefit. Great. But they need to know all this. You need to speak with your CPA. Yes. Okay. Is that the end of your... That's all my notes. Okay. I have the hardest one left. <gasps> Harder okay. than absorption rate? Every... Yes. <laughs> every... Well, I don't know. Not necessarily. Everybody take a breath. In commercial real estate, there is something called cap rate. The oh-so-mysterious cap rate. So mysterious. If you want to work with an investor, this term may likely come up. Whether they're buying a rental property that's residential or an office building or uh, an apartment complex or whatever. Cap rate. Okay. What is cap rate? First of all, it is short for capitalization rate. Wow. And that's very exciting. And the easy formula for this is your net operating income. Okay, so so this is a rental property. You've made money on it. Your income, your net income, divided by the value or the purchase price equals cap rate. Okay, that's the very simple thing. Now, oh, here's the hard part. How do we figure out our net operating income? Yeah. What will we do? Okay, you're going to say, I have a scenario. Actually, my scenario. We did your house. So Alyssa has a rental house that's relatively new, okay? So the maintenance isn't super high. The house is not very old. It is currently worth, and let's say she was going to buy it, not that she owned it. Let's list it for $250,000. Today. That's what it's worth, $250,000 to list it for. It is rented out for, tell us, $1,775 per month. Yes. Right? So you're going to take 1775 times 12. That's how much it makes in a year. In a whole year, you get $21,300. Okay. Then what are your yearly expenses? Well, you pay taxes. And today I learned that in Louisiana, that is 1% of the property value. Property value. So $2,500. She's got to pay to the state for the taxes. She has homeowner's insurance for $800. She pays an HOA fee every year. For Once a year, yeah. Three fifty. She does not currently have flood insurance. We'll all advise her to go get some uh, maintenance. She said she paid about two thousand dollars a year because she likes to keep it looking really good. I cut the grass. She cuts the grass. So her maintenance is maybe a little bit higher than normal, but okay, fine. So her net 
income is that gross, that 21,300 minus all those numbers, which equals a net of $15,650. And now here's the fun part. You take the $15,650, divide it by the $250,000 it is worth, and Alyssa's capitalization rate is 6%. Okay, and what does that mean? <laughs> like investors will use this number as a determinant on if they want to pay that price for that property. I see. Okay, so most when I started out, investors would say we, we want a ten percent capitalization rate. Mm -hmm. We're not going to buy anything for less than a ten percent. Maybe you're so you're just kind of low, right? Yeah. But maybe yeah. you're planning to keep it for thirty years, and that doesn't matter to you at all. Yeah. The point is that the number will come up. It's not that hard of a formula to figure out. It just takes a little bit of work. Right. And if you're working with investors, it's best if you know what that means, especially if you're listing an investment. Okay. Right. If you're taking a listing of a rental house and you can say it's a 10% cap rate, that's going to sell that thing. Sure. Okay. So 10% would be a good one. I don't know what the average investor likes now. It could be eight. I have no clue. Mm -hmm. Y'all go find an investor and ask. Um, but that's that's the cap rate, so it's not as hard as it seems. You just got to know all the expenses, all the income, and then what the thing is worth. Okay. Last thing, occupancy rate, another oh. investor thing. Okay. Your investor may say, especially on commercial, well, what is the occupancy rate? Or mm -hmm. on an apartment complex or something with many units, right? Yeah. The occupancy rate is the number of days it was occupied, so that unit was occupied divided by the total number of days in a year. So 365. So if it was occupied all 365 days, it's a 100% occupancy, right? If it was only occupied, maybe to like on an Airbnb or something like that, where people are coming and going and maybe it only gets occupied a certain season. Maybe it's 50% of the year. So it's 50% occupancy rate. That's something else an investor might want to know. Yes. Well, I'm not going to get the same amount of money for every single day because it isn't rented out every day. Sure. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the biggest and most important thing. If you don't know how to do the math, figure out how to do it. It's not, most of these are not difficult, but you should be really comfortable with percentages. Yeah. Right? Like if you are not comfortable with percentages, I highly encourage you to find someone who is to walk you through it. Um, I was that kid in math class that didn't get it and asked all the questions to where the teacher was like so annoyed <laughs> until I could get it, right? right? So it doesn't come natural. You have to learn it, but your clients need you to understand it mm -hmm. and they need you to know the terminology so you can walk them through it. Maybe I get an investor client that's worried about cap rate, but plans to keep it for 30 years. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you just need to know. Okay. Oof. That was a lot. That was good. So many numbers. Okay, let's toast somebody. I hope they're a numbers person. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kelly Bishop wanted to toast to the amazing office of Easy Life Realty. Oh, I like that name. I know. There is small family-run brokerage with only about 40 agents. They're located in North Texas. She said, I came over a year and a half ago after spending two years with a national chain brokerage and only doing eight deals in two years. Four of those were rentals. Hmm. Okay. Last year, I closed out my year with 31 transactions in just one year. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. She says, this is all because of the time and energy and patience of our trustee leaders, Lisa, Jonathan Hitchcock, and Brad, the broker. 
Brad the, Brad bro- the broker. Brad the broker. Put into me. Oh, and then she says, Shannon Gladden, who I love and is a longtime listener, is one of our top producers. And she turned me on to your podcast when I first Aww. came over. And it has helped so much to teach me how to juggle multiple deals at a time. She even bought the templates. And that is a big, wait, and that is big because I do not buy into a lot. And I love them, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to Lisa and their crew. And they got a king cake. Remember back in oh, the day? Oh, yeah, yeah, fun. All right. So thank you to Kelly and cheers to Lisa, Jonathan, and Brad the Broker. Brad the Broker. I love it. <laughs> okay, you'll have a good day. And Goodbye. Let your brain rest after all that yeah. math. <laughs> goodbye thank you so much for tuning in to the hustle humbly podcast let us know who we should toast to for the next episode be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram at hustle humbly podcast if you have an episode topic or question please email us at hustle humbly podcast at gmail.com be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review see you next week bye this is the good life